Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome, Authentic Church. I'm so glad that you're here today, and I'm just honored and privileged to bring a word from God to strengthen our hearts today. The word is going to be on hope. Right now, I believe in our culture, in our community, in our personal lives, our hope is under fire. And what does it mean to hope? Hope is a confident expectation. It's a trust. It's a believing in something, usually something that you cannot see yet. So hope is a really malleable situation. Sometimes you might feel really hopeful and sometimes not so much. One time when a lot of us have great amounts of hope is at Christmas time, right? The children are all excited because they get to open their presents. The parents are usually rather excited because they get to give great gifts. It's such a fun time. And there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of confident expectation. And if you remember... Maybe about eight years ago, there was a really big trend that was happening with kids. And it started on Jimmy Fallon. And what he did was he said, hey, parents, I want you to wrap up a present that's not really a present. And I want you to put it under the tree. And I want you to video it, record it, and then share it with me. I want to see your kids' reactions when you give them things that are not really gifts. We thought, oh, this is great. Well, Anna Grace was two years old, and we thought, this is going to be so great. So we wrap up this present so perfectly with this beautiful bow, and we put it under the tree. She has no idea. There's lots of presents. So we hand her the first present first, and we say, hey, honey, why don't you open this present? Okay. I mean, she's just thrilled. She goes to open the present. She's opening it, opening it. She pulls out an orange She goes, an orange. I love oranges. They're my favorite. I'm going to go put it in the fridge. (laughs) And she toddles over to the fridge, opens the fridge, puts it in, and comes back. Can I open another one? We're like, wow, this is great. We should have got her a banana, you know. (laughs) Keep going. She's about four years old. And my brother comes into town. Now, my brother is known to be a little bit of a prankster. His name is Sean. And so he says, hey, can I wrap the kids' presents? And I said, absolutely. There's wrapping paper in my room. And so he goes into the room, and he wraps the presents, and he brings them out. He starts with the big girl. She opens the present. Toilet paper. She goes, oh, thank you. I've been wanting that, you know, laughing because she knows it's a joke. The four-year-old, little Anna Grace, she goes and she's like big-eyed, like, are you kidding me? She got toilet paper? This is not going to be good. Because she's had two years of confident expectation in what she's actually going to get. She doesn't get oranges anymore. She knows that. So she's opening up the present, and it's granola bars. She looks at her uncle, she looks at us, she's trying not to cry. And she goes, I don't like granola bars. (laughs) 
Oh, how much can happen in two years, right? And of course, he gave the real gift, and it was amazing, and he, they're so blessed. The reality is that in our lives, we are often struggling with what to put our confident expectation in. Where is our hope going to lie? Is our hope going to lie in the reality that God is good and he's going to do something good? Or is it going to lie in something else? And sometimes what happens is we are stuck between hope and the truth. And by truth, I mean a lowercase t. I mean a reality. This is the reality of your life. You're looking at it. You understand it. You know exactly what's going on. And your hope can be a little bit stuck because you're looking at the reality and you're saying, um, no, this is not what I had imagined. You can tell yourself, I had hoped for a beautiful life lived with my husband or my wife. And something happened. Divorce happened. Death happened. Life happened. And now what you're looking at is, well, where is my hope supposed to be if this is what I had hoped for my whole life? What about the family says, I had hoped for children, but what actually happened was I'm infertile and I can't give birth. What about the little girl who said, what I had hoped for was a beautiful Christmas, but my dad got laid off of work and we're homeless. These are real stories. You all have your own stories. And hope lies somewhere between hope and the reality of what is. And so what I want to talk to you about today is what happens when we face these incredibly disappointing seasons in our life. What happens to our hope then? Well, the reality is that our hope cannot be tied to certain things. Number one, our hope cannot be tied to our circumstances. Faulty hope is tied to a circumstance. It's tied to something changing. My life is going to be better when... Without meaning this, we understand that our hope is tied to me having a child, to me getting married, to my marriage being restored, to my situation changing, and my hope is tied up in an event, in a circumstance, in a person, in a place. Otherwise, we can put our hope in a dream or a goal, and we go off to college, and we have a hope, and we have a dream. I'm going to meet my husband, and I'm going to get married, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to get a great degree, and I'm going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to be just fine until that doesn't happen. Then our hope is what we call on shaky ground. So we want to identify today with you, with me. We're looking into our souls, and we're saying, where is my hope? Where do I really place my hope? Is it in a circumstance? Is it in an event or a person? Is it in a dream or a goal being realized? I'm going to pray for us because I'm praying over myself as we step into this message. Father God, I pray that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance for us, your people. Amen. Before we jump into the message, I want to explain that everybody who is alive is going to have hope. So we're going to start with something that makes us all relatable. 
We are humans. Every single one of us is humans. And all humans have three parts to our being. We have a body. So we have the external part of us. This is what we can all see. It's our five senses. It's what we feed our body. It's the nourishment we put in our body. It's our sleep. We all need sleep. It's important that we realize we need water to take care of this body of ours. So we're giving our body those core needs, okay? Water, sleep, rest, food, relaxation, exercise. This all takes care of the outside. The inside of us is the soul. It's the internal world that I don't know what's going on with you. It's inside of you. Only God and you understand what's happening inside of you. Your soul holds your mind, what you think, it holds your emotions, what you feel, and it holds your will. Your will is your decisions. Every single one of us made decisions today. I probably didn't have to tell you, brush your teeth. A lot of things that we do are on autopilot. They're automated thoughts that lead us to make decisions. This is our soul. And the soul is so important because out of the soul, we live. The soul carries everything. It carries our whole life. Everything that's happened to you from the moment of conception, not birth, conception, you were being formed and influenced, and your soul was being shaped. We also have a spirit. This is the supernatural part of us. It's a hole inside of us. When God sent Jesus to the earth, and Jesus lived, and he died, he rose to heaven, and he said, when I go up to heaven, I'm going to leave my presence with you in the form of the spirit. And where is he going to live? In you. The Spirit of God is going to live in you. And so when the Spirit of God lives within us, the Spirit is amazing. The Spirit brings truth to our soul's mind. The Spirit brings healing to our wounded emotions. And the Spirit allows us to have a surrendered will. You cannot surrender your will on your own, by the way. We need the Holy Spirit. That's just a brief overview. When we walk through our life, our soul holds all of the pain and the impact, and this is where our hope gets a little tricky, okay? So today, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about your soul. What goes on inside the soul? And why are you who you are? And why are you living in a faulty hope or a true hope? So the soul has three parts, like I shared. The soul is the mind. Now, from the time of your conception, every experience that you have walked through has spoken to you. Every event you have walked through, whether it be through your parents, school, relationships, world events, all of these things have happened to you. And because of those stories, you've told yourself a story. Do you know what I'm saying? Whatever you have walked through in your experiences in life, they have spoken to you, and you have grabbed hold of something as truth. Those become the thoughts you think. When the mind is impacted in a negative way, that's called trauma. And when you experience trauma, your brain is not forgetting it. 
Why? Because your brain loves you. And it doesn't want you to be hurt anymore. And so if you were a little child and you went through something, your brain is going to remember that and it's going to, you're going to be triggered every time you go around something that is similar to that. I'm going to tell you more about that in a moment. But the mind holds on to everything. 10% of your mind is conscious. It's like an iceberg. You know, you see the little iceberg. It's at the top. You have a little bit of ice. That's what you can actually tell me. If I sat down with you and said, tell me some things about yourself, you would only be able to tell me 10%. 90% is hidden within the subconscious or the non-conscious part of your brain. But it's still there, and it's still in operation. So it's really important to understand what's going on in my mind. The next is emotions. These are simply the feelings that you feel. If you go through something really hard, how do you think you're going to feel? Sad? Lonely? Betrayed? Abandoned? You're not going to feel anything but those feelings. The problem arises in our childhood, most likely. We are taught what to do with feelings in our childhood. How our parents encouraged us, tell me what you're feeling. What are you going through? How does that make you feel when that happened? Now, I'm not talking about living by feelings. Don't hear me wrong. But when a child goes through something, if they don't learn to express it, they repress it. They push it in. And you know what happens then? It speaks to their mind. And they grab hold of a thought. Because they have nobody to talk to. They didn't get to process it out. This is why therapists are still in business including me, <laughs> because we all go through stories. We all go through things. And when stuff happens to us, if we don't have a safe place to process it, we're going to do it all on our own. Our mind is going to tell us what to think, and our emotions are either going to be repressed or they're going to get out. The third part is a will. Your soul carries out your everyday decisions your actions, your reactions, your choices. They're within you, and they're not separated from the mind or the emotions. It's three parts in one, and they work in tandem, very much like the Trinity, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all have different jobs to make us complete. And this is true for your soul. Your soul wants to be whole. Your soul wants to be in operation where everything is working perfectly. But if you have not addressed the stories of your childhood, the trauma that you have walked through throughout your life as an adult, and they stayed buried and repressed, those stories are staying stuck too. The wounded soul, because that's what happens to everyone in this whole entire room, we all have a wounded soul. We have parts of us that have been deeply impacted by the world around us. And the two wounds that come to us when we've been hurt, betrayed, gone through things in our life, the two things that come are attack on your identity. Number one, this is why we all have to be able to say, who am I? Am I loved? Am I valued? Am I worthy? 
you find out who you are because of what people tell you and because of what people do to you in the beginning, in the beginning. Life is coming at you hard and fast and there's people all around you and they're speaking to you and they're saying things and they're acting a certain way and the wound that you experience because of that goes straight to the heart. Who am I? Well, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I am not valued. I'm sure we all have our own stories, right? Even on the playground, somebody said something to you. A teacher maybe called you out and said, oh no, you can't answer that question. You're not smart enough. If you don't deal with that, it will follow you your whole life. Inside, you're going to think, my identity? I'm stupid. I'm not good enough. The second way that the wounded soul is impacted is in the sense of security, the sense of being safe in the world. If you didn't struggle with that now, <laughs> COVID really put that on high speed for everybody, okay? There was a young girl, and she was about three years old, and she went to the water park with her family. And she was having a great time. I mean, she's just a little itty-bitty little thing. But her dad was behind her, and she would go down, and then her dad would go down. Or she, dad would go, and then he, she'd go and catch him. Well, one time when she went down the slide, he wasn't there, and she went under the water. She got caught up a bit in the water. What seemed like minutes to her, probably 20 or 30 seconds, but she couldn't breathe. She took in a bunch of water. She came up. She was petrified. She thought she was going to drown. She's only three. Fast forward in her life, friends decide, we're going to throw you a surprise party, and they take her to the water park. And you can imagine her surprise when she showed up at a water park and did not know that's where they were going. Because at three, she had not been in the water since. She was six. Her brain told her at that moment, water's not safe. Water parks are not safe. Maybe even told her things about her dad. Your dad's not going to catch you. Her brain did this. Her mind did this. And so she carried this trauma with her until she was old enough to begin to say a few things to herself. I'm now 15. It's okay for me to go on a water slide. I'm safe. But do you understand how that experience impacted her security in the world? Now you throw in there any kind of abuse, emotional, physical, or sexual, for a child. And the number one wound that most people deal with is, am I safe? We have a coping mechanism built up inside of us. There's a couple different ways you can look at it. One is fight. Whenever your brain tells you you're not safe, you're like, okay, well, let me tell you, yes, I am. <laughs> I am gonna fight. Another is flight. I'm just run, I'm out of here. I go and I hide in a closet. I go hide in the bathroom. Another is freeze. Literal people, just their brain just goes and it's almost like they're a zombie. They just freeze. They don't know what to do or what to say when they feel unsafe. 
The third, fourth way is to please. You become the best girl or boy you can. You're never going to hurt again. You're going to please everybody. The cycle looks something like this. An event happens. Your brain takes it in, and it thinks something right then and there. Then you feel something, and the feeling and the thoughts go, okay, you better act. And then you do. You do something. That feeling and that thought and that action when you do it, if it's not positive or good, then it re-triggers the cycle, and you're in this fury of toxicity. You're just spinning. You're spinning around. And in that place, that cycle of being stuck, hope is really hard to find. Your brain is telling you there's no hope. You're stuck. You've been here before. Nothing is new. You can't do this. And the flood of toxic thoughts just races out of your mind. Am, am I the only one or does anybody else have that experience? Let's just see a few hands. If you're not raising your hand, come talk to me. <laughs> The reality is this is life. This is life. We are inside of our soul. And so when we're stuck in that place, man, it's automatic responses. It's automatic words coming out of our mouths. And it's so not what God has planned for us. God has a new way for us to change the cycle. And the way that we change the cycle and find our hope rising up again is to say the thoughts happen at the event. You're, you're not going to stop the original thought. The feeling is going to flood you, and that's your indication. <sighs> Something's going on with me. I feel hot. I feel heavy. My heart is racing. I think I could punch somebody right now. And you don't even know what's really going on. That is where Jesus steps in and says, hold on, I'm here. Pause. Just pause for one minute, put your hand on your heart, begin to address, what am I thinking? Because the reality is, is that God has given us the ability to do something to change the cycle. The first thing that he's going to do is he's going to say, listen, you can change your thoughts. Isn't that amazing? Thoughts are just thoughts. If you're in my balance group, we talked about this last week, thoughts come in, they're either going to land or you're going to kick them out. If they've been there a long time, you're going to rewire your mind. But guess what? You can't rewire your mind if you don't know what to change. You can't change anything if you don't know what you're thinking. And you know what? In America, in our culture, we're running 100 miles an hour, and we're not pausing to even ask the question, what am I thinking? The number, way, number one way that you can change this in your life to do something is to journal, journal, Journal. Journal. I'll say it again. Journal. You journal. What's the event that happened and what does it make me think? I can't do this. It's too hard. This person over here is too difficult. They're never going to change. I'm out. We have a lot of thoughts in our minds. But the reality is that we can take that thought out and we can look at it, and we can line it up with the Word of God, and we can say, no, I don't want this thought in my mind anymore, and I'm going to get it out. And you can. And you can take the thought, starve it to death, replace it, and come up with a new thought. 
It is so powerful. The reality is, is that science has shown us that 85% of our thought life is negative. You can't override your brain. You're not gonna change anything until you decide, I wanna think differently. When you decide to think differently, then things can change because out of the 85% of negative thoughts, 95% of your brain is on autopilot. It's automated. You are thinking the same things all the time. And if they are toxic, you're not gonna have hope. Your hope is going to be deferred and you are going to feel stuck. The next thing you can do is you can change the way that you feel. Feelings are absolutely valid. If I came up to Stephen and I kicked him in the shin, he's gonna hurt. He's gonna feel a little bit upset with me, and that would be normal. But what I am talking about is the feelings of being unloved, the feelings of being rejected, the feelings of loneliness. We have got to know that God wants to encounter us in our feelings. And not only that, this is why we are here. You are not meant to do your life alone. You can't heal without people. It's impossible. Jesus loves you so much, but he gave you people to listen to the story, to line it up with truth, and to tell you who you are. We don't think it's a fun idea to be in groups. We think it's life-saving to be in groups because we cannot do life alone. If you are stuck in your emotions and your head, then hope sometimes is a hot air balloon and it is leaving, it is going, and you don't know how to do it anymore. Don't do life alone. In order to be healed, we need another human to hug us, to listen, and to say, Isaac, that was a hard story. I'm so sorry. I believe in you. I know this isn't the end of you. We need people. The third thing, is our choices, and this is powerful because, like I said, I didn't have to tell any of you to brush your teeth. I didn't have to tell any of you to lock your door when you left your house. So you're all choosing things every single day, tons and tons of choices every day. Let me tell you what not to do. I don't want you to go home today and go, I'm working out, man, I have been lazy. Okay, I'm going to work out. I'm going to the gym every day for an hour. I'm on it. Don't do that. That's not going to work. <laughs> what I prefer that you start to do is say, I'm going to go for a walk around the block, five minutes. I'm going to step out my front door, and I'm going to go for a walk. Because what you want your decisions to be, if they're going to change the way you take care of your body, change the way you take care of your mind or your emotions, you want them to be small, and you want to be able to do it for the rest of your life. So if I said a show of hands, how many of you read your Bible every single day faithfully? And some people are like, can I sit on my hands? I don't want anybody to know that. Okay, start with one scripture. Just one. It takes you three seconds to read one scripture. Meditate on it. It takes you one minute. Write it down, takes you one minute. All of a sudden, 
you're going to have 365 promises at the end of the year. 365 verses you did not know before. Don't, I'm going to go to a Bible study and I'm going to read every book of the Bible in one year. If you've never done that and you're 50, then I don't recommend you start there. Start small. Do little things. You know, these things are very powerful. We can all do something. Every single one of us can do something. Until you can't. I was doing all these things. I was faithfully journaling, writing my feelings, praying, talking to friends. I wasn't doing very good at the gym, that's for sure. Some things started to fly out the window. When we first moved here two years ago, our daughter, Isabella, had been a freshman in a high school, and we moved to the Midwest. Her sophomore year, she started over at a different high school. How many of you know even that is tough? And we believed God that he told us, go to Missouri, start your life, it's going to be beautiful there. And we had thrown everything in, and we had packed and moved from California to Missouri. And about 10 months in, even less than that, we realized, I don't know if this is where we're supposed to be. And our best friends happened to be planting a church, and we thought, well, good for you. We're, we're not involved with that. <laughs> you know, we don't plant churches. <laughs> and um, don't ever say that to God. <laughs> And so we say, we're moving back to California. This would be high school number three. And, you know, we all have our stories. We all have our life experiences, things that have been said to us, things that we have walked through, things that have been done to us. And we don't always know when it's going to show its ugly head. But when it does, it's saying, pay attention to me. But when my daughter started to struggle with Severe depression and anxiety. And this was her third high school. And we were planting this church. My hope got lost. My hope was, God, just heal her. Come on already. So I tried to do more things. I tried to be better. That doesn't work. You all have your stories. For me, it was waking up every day not knowing what I'd find with my daughter. And then picking up the phone to deal with six to ten clients a day with their problems. I'm like, I got my own problems. <laughs> And then it got really hard when people started having breakthrough. People I was helping were getting healed. They were encountering God. They were starting a new life. I wasn't. I was stuck in a cycle. God, just get me out of here. I just can't do this. Day in and day out, the words out of my mouth were, I can't do this anymore. After about a year and a half, my husband 
lovingly saying to me, you got to get some help. I'm like, well, who, who, who do I go to? People come to me. Who am I supposed to go to? So I had friends. I had a counselor, a prayer counselor that I met with. And I got away in January for the second time. The first time was not as fruitful. <laughs> the second time I went away, I, I began to understand the power of the three parts of being human. <laughs> the part that I had kind of forgotten in its entirety, which is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within me. And I want to share something. Our secret weapon when we are under attack is not ourselves. It is not doing more or trying harder. It's the exact opposite. It is the Holy Spirit. And you know what he says? He says, sit down right here. I'll take it from here. And guys, my hope was not in that. My hope was in my situation changing, my daughter being healed completely, and life getting back to normal for the love of God, please. The Holy Spirit began to speak these scriptures over my heart that I want to read over you today. He says, I will give you another helper. He's a helper that may abide with you forever, and it is the spirit of truth. That lowercase t, true story I was walking in, I had to tell people. I had to share my story with very close friends of mine. I was not in the dark, and I was not alone. People knew. Y'all didn't probably know the depth of what we were walking through, and I wasn't trying to be secretive, but the reality is we were barely surviving. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with truth. It's a sword. It's a dagger. It begins to cut away all those lies inside of your soul that are digging in deep to stay with you. He also says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. How many of you know that when you are hanging on for dear life, the last thing you feel is powerful? <laughs> Powerlessness becomes your best friend. You're like, I can't do anything. I'm so powerless. And you kind of start walking around like this weak, willed, broken person. That's when you know you got a problem. That's when I knew I had a problem. But the helper the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things. I began to submit to the Holy Spirit. Say, you got to teach me how to do this better. There's nobody I love more in my life than my family, my children, my husband, and my dear friends, and you. It's not like I wanted that to be where I was, but I needed a helper I needed somebody bigger than myself to step right into my soul and tell me the truth. The mind governed by the flesh is death. By the way, the flesh, what this means is all of the stories you have walked in up until now, if they're not healed, that's your flesh. And they're going to govern your mind. They're going to tell you, you're not okay, you're not loved, 
You're not valuable. You're not safe. It's going to come at you like a hurricane. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. When we submit ourselves to not just how I feel and not just the story I see in front of me, we begin to say, I can have peace. I honestly, for a good year of my life, when we were walking through the dark, like the dark, 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 I did not have any peace. Maybe moments, but mostly it was just fear, total fear. What's going to happen? What are we going to do? How are we going to help her? Well, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. This is awesome. I am so weak. And you are weak. We are all weak. But he is our helper in the middle of those weakest moments where we don't have answers. Probably my favorite realization in this journey that I've been on for two years is the reality that the soul can only function in wholeness when the spirit is invited to do what only the spirit can do. What we cannot do on our own. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not asking y'all, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You made your bed, lie in it. These are all lies. He said, I govern the heavens and the earth and I will help you. And you need it. You need it. You cannot do it without me. I had run out of strength. I had run out of energy. And that was exactly where I was supposed to be. Because I'm a doer. I'm very much a type A. Tell me the problem. I will solve it. Tell me what you need, I will do it. You know, I like that. My house is very tidy, very neat, very organized. I like that. I did not like this internal mess I was feeling at all. A scripture that was given to me when I began to pursue a degree as a single mom to be a professional counselor and start, start a whole new way of life was 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. If you only memorize one scripture, let it be this one. Because the thing that Satan is coming for in all of us is fear. He said, live by fear, be ruled by fear, be governed by fear. COVID, the pandemic, my husband didn't have a real full-time job. I was like, eh, whatever, I'm fine. But mess with my daughter, not so much. Now I'm afraid. Do you understand what I'm saying? Satan is not going to relent. He is going to try to take us out any way he can to get that fear to be what drives our lives. But this scripture takes it right to the soul. It is so powerful when we begin to see that the great exchange that takes place for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is for the soul. Where we have a broken mind, he's going to give us a new mindset based in truth. Based in truth. You're going to get new input where the story was old. He gives you a new story to tell. 
And for us, for those of us who have walked through trauma, my family and I, we were raised in an alcoholic home. Our dad was not available to us as much as he is now. He was not then. My parents were divorced at 16. I looked from man to boy to man to boy, trying to find love. The first marriage did not turn out so well. Very abusive. Broken. My mind was broken, and I paid the price for that broken mindset until I began to let the Holy Spirit change it. And by the way, obviously, um, this was just a year ago, so it's not a one-time done deal. It's a daily over and over, no matter what comes your way, renewing of the mind. You can't lay down your weapon. We must fight for this with the Holy Spirit. The power of a broken mind is now we have a sound mind. The wounded emotions, this is big. Where we are wounded, where we said, I'm not lovable, you're not good enough. All of those things that we've experienced, only the love of God can heal that, guys. Only the perfect love of God. Not this great love of an awesome husband, because I've got one. He couldn't save me. A great family, they couldn't help me. Okay? A great church, you couldn't help me. And I had people, they couldn't help me. My wounded emotions needed to be healed by the love of God. And you know how you do that? You just sit at his feet. You sit down and you abide with your father, with your beloved, with the one who says, be my first love. Let me be your true love. And he's going to come for us. He's not going to relent because he wants you to know his love. He wants to heal those wounded emotions you've been through. And the destructive choices, the cycles that you have been stuck in, turning to alcohol, pornography, food, shopping, escaping, escaping, escaping. We have to ask ourselves at some point, how's that going? How is it going? You doing good? Can hear a pin drop? No, I guess that's a no. <laughs> okay. The true you is found in this journey. The real you. The real you. You are amazing and you are loved and you have something to offer the world. But until we step into our soul and do the work with the Holy Spirit, our hope might be a bit deferred. And I want you to know there are three things you can build your hope on. I am never alone. Never. Hebrews 13 says that I will never leave you or forsake you. We've got to start saying this. I said it. I said it for a year and a half. I'm so alone in this. Nobody understands. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I go to church and everybody's happy and I should just smile too. I'm alone. That's not true. We have to start telling ourselves, I am never alone. 
I am surrounded by the wraparound presence of God. I have angel armies with me, but mostly I have the spirit of the living God inside of me, which means no matter where I go, I'm never alone. Even in my darkest night, I am never alone. There is a presence that sticks right beside us. The second thing is, by the way, you are not powerless. You gotta kick that to the curb right away. You are powerful. You are so empowered every day to make choices and decisions. You get to leave here today and you get to go eat a bowl of pasta the size of a large man's stomach. Or you could eat a salad. <laughs> you, you get to do whatever you wanna do. You are not stuck. It's such a lie. We feel stuck when we're alone and we feel stuck when we're powerless. And those are the two things that are absolutely not true in the Christian faith. And when we start to empower ourselves with the word of God, we're gonna see this as a total lie. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. If it was, I would have done it because I, I knew the scriptures and I knew how to help people. Obviously, I'd done it for a while and I was not being helped myself. So I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying it's true. I'm saying it's true. And when it's true, you have to start walking down that path of truth. It just starts one day at a time, believing the truth. The third thing, which I love, is you know what? Okay, if I have to go through this, which by the way, you do. Nobody gets a pass. If you have not been through something so heart-wrenching, it will happen. Why? Because you're human and you live with humans and people die and you are dying and people betray you. That is real. So life is still coming. If you're breathing, still an opportunity to go through something. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Good news. Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> no, but the reality is that if you're going to go through it, come on, grow, grow. Let God do something in you that might help other people. I mean, that is the only reason I'm standing here. This actually makes me nervous, preaching. I always feel like I'm not a preacher. Kara's laughing because I told her, I'm like, pray for me. I always feel like I have to be funny. I'm pretty serious, you know? <laughs> so anyway, my point is I'm growing through this so I get to share it with you. So if I'm going to go through it, if Satan's going to come at me, then I'm going to grow and I'm going to share it with you all. And, and we are going to be stronger as a church, as a people, as a body, as a family. We're going to be stronger. So our hope is going to be built on these truths, not what we're going through. Because he is faithful. Romans 5 my favorite books of the Bible is Romans, for sure. Then the Psalms, the Songs of Lament. If you ever feel like you're alone, just read the Psalms. But Romans 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. His love is waiting to be poured out. It's like you have this invitation to the grand ball and all you've ever wanted to do was be a princess and go to the ball, get all dressed up. And he says, here it is. 
Let my love be poured out on you. Let my hope be poured out into your soul. And church, here's where we have got to land as a church, as authentic church. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. No matter what, we're not giving up meeting together. <laughs> but instead, we are encouraging one another. And you know how we encourage one another? It might be shocking. You tell somebody the truth. I sat with you. I told you the truth, didn't I? I said, hey, it's hard. She prayed with me. You know, we don't have to shout it from the rooftops, but it's okay to come up to somebody and say, can I tell you the truth of what I'm walking through? This is the body of Christ. You're not supposed to do it alone. And you certainly don't need to come in here all fixed up. That's a lie. I came every Sunday, mostly, sometimes not on time. <laughs> but what I'm telling you is, people in here did know my story. Maybe not all of you. And they loved me. They prayed with me. Until I finally said, Lord, I surrender all my doing. Come. Fall afresh on me again. Remind me you're my first love not my perfect life. All the hopes I had for my teenage daughter. Oh, God. <laughs> they will be fulfilled. Yes. But we don't hide. We tell the truth. Because the one who holds the truth is going to be with you. And he said, when you tell me the truth, I can come in with the truth. And I can tell you that's not true, Nicole. I'm still working. I'm moving. I'm doing things that you cannot see. And oh, are we walking in it now? I see my beautiful daughter. God is not done. He's not done with us not done with you so the altar is going to be open because we need to step into the presence of God we need to abide and we need to rest we need to call out to the one who says on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.